That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. We're going to talk about the uh, the great Republican tax scam, and uh, hopefully if Brian Darling will call into the number that he's got on his Skype screen so that we can get broadcast quality audio for him, we can put him on the air. Uh, but uh, I can't use Skype audio here. Um, the median household income now, this from Zach Carter over at uh, Huffington Post, has grown by just 1.5%, $839 a year since 2008, 1.5%. Yet, the economic output of the United States has grown 10 times that rate, roughly 15%. The stock market has grown 40%. Half of all the gains from the sale of stocks and bonds accrue to households that make over a million dollars a year. The 400 wealthiest households take three quarters of their very substantial annual incomes, as Zach Carter writes, from financial investments. This is not about stimulating growth or investment. This is class war, he writes. So basically, the, the Republicans, they want to have a $6 trillion tax cut. One and a half trillion of that, they're just right up, right, in, right on the front end, since they already passed a budget that raised the debt ceiling by a trillion and a half dollars. The first trillion and a half of that is coming from just, you know, eliminating <laughs> or just raising the debt ceiling and, and raising the U.S. debt, which is like crazy. Um, in addition to that, a $1.5 trillion corporate tax cut goes straight to people who own stock in corporations. Another $696 billion would go toward repealing the alternative minimum tax, basically the only tax that Donald Trump pays. Another $596 billion would go to assist so-called pass-through entities, small corporations like mine, except that I don't qualify for this because I don't make enough money and I'm not rich enough. You've got to be able to play all these games, right? And uh, so, yeah, the hedge funds... Uh, rich people's investment vehicles, corporations doing business in the Caymans, I don't know. Repeal of the estate tax, that's going to help those folks out. $47.5 billion strip, strip uh, from people paying student debt or attending graduate school. This is going to pretty much end post-collegiate post education. I mean, this, unless you have a trust fund, forget about going to college after the Republican at least if you want to be in graduate school, at least if the Republicans have their way. 
Republicans would bleed municipalities and force cutbacks in public education and infrastructure. The bill would strike a further $39 billion for money we're currently using to buy to build hospitals, affordable housing, and university buildings. It ends a $54 billion tax credit for research into rare diseases. Why? So that we can have tax cuts on the top 1%. Uh, it ends a deduction for personal medical expenses. Why? So we can have tax cuts on the top for the top 1%. And then it says to companies that have been stashing their money overseas, oh, no problem. We'll, we'll give you a 14% uh, cash you know, repayment on that. So Bruce Bartlett, who was arguably the architect of the uh, Reagan-Bush tax cuts, Uh, said, and I quote, In 1986, we slashed the corporate tax rate from 46 to 34 percent, but wages fell. And then the commentary goes on to say, Likewise, President George W. Bush's tax cut in 2001 and 2003 produced one of the weakest economic expansions in American history, and those tax cuts were, in fact, in place when the Great Recession of 2007-2009 happened. So what will happen when we give Apple and Microsoft and all these other giant corporations hundreds of billions of dollars or let them bring, you know, the money? They're essentially ill-gotten gains from offshore back here to the United States. What will happen? Well, Bank of America and Merrill Lynch surveyed 300 executives, major CEOs, big companies. What are you going to do? with the billions of dollars you're going to make from, these tax, from this tax holiday on repatriated funds, on money brought back into the United States. You going to build factories? You're going to hire people? No. Number one response, we're going to pay down our debt. Yeah, right. Number two response, we're going to do stock buybacks. And the number three response, we're going to do mergers. This is crazy. I mean, it's just, there's no other description for this other than this is crazy. And look at what happened in Kansas. You know, they passed this giant tax cut. And what happened? The Republican legislature of Kansas had to, over the objections of Sam Brownback, the governor, they had to raise taxes just to keep the state from collapsing. And this is after they've made major cuts to education and all kinds of stuff. This is the Republican tax cut plan. And it stinks. Meanwhile, I think it would be useful to, uh, oh, and, and I, I, just for the record, you know, I keep hearing Republicans going on television going, well, we want to do what Jack Kennedy did, right? He cut that top tax rate from 91% to 74%. Well, actually, Jack Kennedy didn't do that. Lyndon Johnson did that. But he invoked Jack Kennedy because Jack Kennedy did want to raise taxes on rich people. He called it increasing revenue, right? Raising taxes and increasing revenue are the exact same thing. Now, how did Jack Kennedy want to raise taxes? He wanted to close loopholes. He wanted to close the three martini lunch deduction. You know, some of the, some of the expensive deductions that businesses have, the luxury uh, deductions. And what did he want to use that money for? He wanted to spend more on education. He wanted to spend more on housing. And, but the Republicans keep lying about Jack Kennedy. They keep lying and saying, oh, you know, Jack Kennedy wanted a giant tax cut. And when we got it, the economy got better. Well, actually, 
when Lyndon Johnson dropped the tax rate from 91% to 74%, members of the Kennedy family started paying more in taxes, not less. It was the exact opposite from this Republican plan. And here's Jack Kennedy debating Richard Nixon in 1960 saying, I want to raise taxes, I want to increase revenues, and here's how I'm going to spend the money. So the next time you hear some Republican lying to you on television, remember this. I think it's possible to gain a $700 million to a $1 billion through tax changes, which I believe would close up loopholes on dividend withholding on expense accounts. You notice he said gain, and he said dividend withholding, right? He, want, he wants people making their money off dividends to pay more in taxes. Now, how is he going to spend that money? He, he lays it out right here. Here we go, Sean. This is how he's going to spend that. So in my judgment, we would spend more money in this administration on aid to education. We'd spend more money on housing. We'd spend more money, and I hope more wisely, on defense than this administration has done. Mr. Nixon misstates my figures constantly, which uh, is, of course, his right. But the fact of the matter is, here is where I stand, and I just want to have it on the public record. Jack Kennedy begging Republicans to tell the truth about what he wants to do, begging the news media to tell the truth about how he wants to raise taxes on people in order to stimulate the economy by putting that money into an investment in public education, public health, public housing. Jack Kennedy talking about how he wanted to raise tax. And in fact, when they did it, yeah, they dropped the top marginal tax rate, but they, they closed the loopholes. Now, the Republicans are doing the exact opposite. They're actually adding new loopholes. Oh, you're rich and you don't pay taxes? Great. You don't have to pay the alternative minimum tax anymore. Oh, uh, you're, you're uh, a young person who's never worked and doesn't care to work, but you would love to have a billion dollars? Well, even though you don't deserve it, you haven't done anything for it, you just remember the Lucky Sperm Club? Well, when Grandpa or Daddy kicks off, you can have that money tax-free. No problem. Gift of Uncle Sam. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I want to go through Jack Kennedy's uh, 1962 speech on, or his 63 speech on peace. Uh, stick around. Line with us, he is a contributor to the Conservative Review, former staffer for Rand Paul. Uh, ConservativeReview.com is the website. You can tweet him at Brian H. Darlene, spelled just like you might think. Brian, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on. So I have I have laid this thing out. I mean, today in the Washington Post, the CBO pointing out that uh, by 2023, uh, average working people who are making less than uh, $30,000 a year are going to see their taxes go up or their benefit or their government benefits go down to the tune of um, uh, well over $10,000, whereas rich people are going to see a tax cut. How are you guys uh, how do you think you're going to succeed in selling this thing that's just sticking it to anybody who makes under 50000 a year? Look, I, I agree that conflating health care with tax cuts is probably not a great idea because ultimately uh, individuals will get a tax cut. The problem is if you're a low-income person, you're going to get stuck with higher health care costs, according to CBO and according, according to the Joint Committee on Taxation. So, you know, they've run an analysis. They do. I, I do have real concerns about this bill. I wish it was a bigger tax cut. I wish more individuals were getting a cut on the individual side. Uh, I know that they set an arbitrary limit of $1.5 trillion in, in cuts, and, and that's caused them problems where they've 
put more weight on the corporate side than they probably should have and less weight on giving tax cuts to everybody on the individual side. So, you know, the, when, when Obama passed the uh, um, American Stimulus Act, I think it was called, uh, the AMA, or there was one other letter in the acronym, but anyhow, when, when Obama passed this, Paul Ryan came out and said, this will not create any jobs, this will not produce any stimulus. And uh, it's, it, it actually, you know, it, it worked fairly well. Actually, here's, here's, what, uh, here's what Paul Ryan said, quote, now keep in mind, this was 40% uh, of an $800 billion stimulus of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, ARRA, um, February 2009. What did taxpayers get out of the Obama stimulus? More debt. The money wasn't just spent and wasted, it was borrowed, spent, and wasted. Mitch McConnell said also, zero jobs, more debt. How is this different? Well, uh, that bill did contain some tax cuts and tax relief. The but largest middle-class tax cut in the history of the United States, that bill had. A lot of government spending in it, too. And sure. This bill, $500 billion. Yeah. I mean, they're different in many ways. But, I mean, ultimately, I think that even President Obama advocated for a lowering of the corporate tax rate. And that, I think, across the board, people would see as a good idea if it was married to real corporate tax reform. But, yeah, I mean, you've noted that this is the exemptions are still in the code. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, there's, there's no corporate, I, I, I pay corporate taxes, right? I mean, that's like, they're, you know, I know what I can deduct and they're still there, right? You know, everything, in fact, they're adding things. They're adding accelerated depreciation. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're I mean, they're adding more tax breaks for corporations. And, uh, and the pass-through entity thing is amazing because, you know, the company that I own, this, this radio show, is a pass-through entity, technically. It's an LLC. But apparently it's not structured in the way that very, very rich people can structure their LLCs. I, you know, I, I guess I have to, you know, spend, well, money I don't have on a CPA to set up something that I can't afford in order to be able to take tax breaks that I probably don't need. Because like most small companies, you know, pretty much we don't pay much in taxes because we don't make that much profit. Uh, this is just crazy, Brian. I, you know, in, we, we have got about two minutes left. Are you suggesting, I, I hear you kind of backpedaling on this, um, are you suggesting that the Republicans are going to blow it? I mean, you've got you've got a couple of Republican senators, you know, Bob Corker and uh, Jeff Flake, who have uh, basically zero loyalty to Donald Trump. No, I, I, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, the Senate's going to pass something, maybe. I mean, it's going to be very close. My former boss, Rand Paul, said he'd vote for it. I mean, I in as a, as a whole, I like this bill. I think it's a good bill. Uh, I don't think it's great. I don't like a lot of aspects of it. And I do think Republicans have caused themselves huge political problems by the arguments you're making, that this is not enough relief for middle to lower income people and more relief for corporations and the rich. I mean, as a political issue, that's going to be troublesome. And if the economy doesn't rebound and, and do a lot better and hit 4% like the president's promised before the elections, could cause some problems electorally for Republicans going into the election cycle. Yeah. Brian, if, if, if Republicans really want an economic stimulus to, to you know, help juice the economy and make Trump look good, why not raise the cap on Social Security and lower the rate? Um, we know from the experience of the Obama stimulus that if you, can, if you can reduce Social Security taxes by one point for a year and a half, which is what they did, there's a huge and measurable stimulus because it's people on the bottom end of the income distribution who are, who are uh, you know, 
having fewer taxes taken out of their paychecks, they have more money to spend. Well, you're com would be completely changing the program from a program where you're supposed to pay in and receive what you paid in to a program that's just like the other uh, welfare programs. Um, and, and if you blew it up, it would be a huge tax increase on a lot of individuals. But it would just change the nature of the program. If we're all in favor of changing this program over, uh, then uh, sign me up because I guess I'd probably have more disposable income if we, we lowered the tax, uh, the Social Security tax. But why like, should I pay, you know, 6% Social Security tax and Bill Gates pays one, one hundredth of 1%? Well, I, I presume he, he doesn't take, uh, he, he takes out what he puts in. I mean, he's going to get exactly what you put into that program. Okay. And it was Brian, Brian, Brian Darling, conservativereview.com. You can tweet him at, hang on just a second. I'll, You're I'll listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. You can tweet him at Brian H. Darling. Brian, thank you for dropping by. Thank you. It's great talking with you. We'll be back. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X-Chair want you to feel the X-Chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X, chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code TOM. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X-Chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom, that's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com. And be sure to use THOM as the promo code for your $100 discount. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And very pleased to have on the line with us the great Harvey Wasserman. Harvey hey, is Tom. Hey Harvey, Harvey's website Harvey. solartopia.org. Uh, you can uh, tweet him at solartopia, S O L A R T O P I A. And uh, Harvey, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Well, it's great to be with you, Tom. And congratulations on your move to the West Coast. Thank you. Oh, we're 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 loving it out here. All our kids live here. My mother-in-law, brother-in-law. It's like I'm back with family, and uh, you know, which is real real important to us. Um, but let's talk about Puerto Rico. You, you yeah. have been doing some uh, remarkable reporting over at Truth Dig and other places on what's going on in Puerto Rico. Is it, you know, I, 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 you know, I remember when Puerto Rico first happened, people were tweeting, okay, is this going to be uh, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, is Naomi Klein's book going to be played out here? Is this going to be a great example of disaster capitalism? Seems like, uh, seems like it's looking that way. It's the quintessential. I mean, what, what's happened here is that the uh, government, the Trump administration, has decided to not help these people, even though they're U.S. citizens. Uh, of course, they do happen to be of color, but mostly, and, and speak Spanish. But uh, Puerto Rico has been a U.S. colony since 1898, and uh, these people are American citizens. And uh, Maria swept through there, 
Trump comes up and destroyed the place, I mean really destroyed the place. This is the, 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 the devastation in Puerto Rico is just um, uh, almost uh, uh, unbelievable. Also in the, in the Virgin Islands, which mm-hmm. uh, people seem to skip over, but they are also U.S. citizens. And uh, the administration decided not to help these people, basically. I mean, there's a hospital ship down there. There's some team of people. Uh, there was a very corrupt uh, contract given to rebuild the energy grid to a tiny two-person company in Whitefish, uh, Montana, which is, happens to be the hometown of Ryan Zink, the interior secretary. Yeah, and his son apparently his son worked actually, there, too. His son actually worked for the company. Yeah. The $300 million contract, they were paying, line, uh, they were paying four linemen uh, to fix the lines on the power lines. They're flying people in at $1,000 a head, paying, uh, setting out $350 or thereabouts an hour, of which the line, the workers actually only got a fraction. And uh, meanwhile, the grid is at least uh, uh, still half down. You know, this is two months, Tom. This isn't like last week. This would not be tolerated in the white suburbs of Houston. And in fact, it was not tolerated in the white suburbs of Houston. But in Puerto Rico, where, as you point out, Harvey, people speak Spanish and, and the, most, the majority of the population are what could be defined as people of color, Hispanic or black or both. Um, uh, you know, Trump seems to be getting away with this. Yes, people are, are actually starving. They're, they're drinking contaminated water from Superfund sites. FEMA guys walk around, they hand out bottles, you know, small bottles of water, and they give people a form to fill out uh, or an Internet, uh, you know, a number to call. There's no phone service in over half the island. There's no Internet, for God's sake, virtually at all. The hospitals, there are more than 50 hospitals. A fraction of them are still are operating. The one thing good that happened was Elon Musk sent in solar panels, and they're running the uh, children's hospital in, uh, in uh, San Juan on solar panels. And we have called for the grid to re- be rebuilt um, along solar lines. We want microgrids, uh, uh, solar panels, and wind farms. And, in fact, there was one wind farm on the south side of the island that went right through the hurricane, as did, by the way, most of the windmills in Texas. So uh, this is another proof of uh, the need to get to solartopia. And uh, T- Congressman Ted Lieu of Southern California has sent a letter to FEMA asking them to use whatever money they're devoting to rebuilding the grid to do it in a decentralized solar way. We want to see so, uh, uh, Puerto Rico totally uh, solarized, which, which is more than possible. It oh, yeah, and it's things. actually, you know, as of two weeks ago, and, and uh, I think it was Joe Robb did a great piece on this over at Think Progress, as of a couple of weeks ago, solar and wind are both now officially cheaper than any fossil fuel or nuclear power, uh, you know, if you strip out all the subsidies from all of them. Yes, so. exactly. And um, uh, Germany now is getting more uh, energy from uh, wind and solar than from nuclear and fossil fuels. Yeah. I and, mean, and, and that's, only, that's only the fourth largest economy in the world. Right. Now, and, one, but one thing we're looking at in Puerto Rico, I mean, it's been so egregious, Tom, that um, there, you, you have to start thinking, are they deliberately cleansing the island of local people? At least uh, 150,000 people have left Puerto Rico. They've gone to Florida mostly, but also elsewhere. Yeah. And the question is, um, will Trump's uh, vulture capitalists sweep in and, you know, soon buy up the land for pennies on the dollar and turn it into Cuba before the revolution? You know, uh, big hotels, I'm sure some with Trump's names on them, uh, 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 gambling and prostitution. Batista all over again. Was. Yeah. 
Amazing. Then, Harvey, Harvey, we've got a, a, about three minutes left here, and I, I, I wanted to get into another topic that you are uh, noted uh, internationally as an expert on, and that is our privatized, uh, rigged voting system being hacked. And there is some concern among some people that the Alabama Senate election could be stolen. Tell me about this. Well, they've already disenfranchised many, many, many thousands of black people, as has been done all over the country. Trump has set up a federal commission with Chris Kobach of the Secretary of State of Kansas, KKK there, to um, um, specifically for the disenfranchisement of people of color. And we know that's going on in Alabama. Uh, we're fighting now. We're trying to get the Democratic Party, which is brain dead, as you know, uh, to take, pay attention to this and to see that we get a decent vote count. We're asking that Doug Jones not concede if he lose, loses before uh, there's a recount. Uh, there, there are electronic voting machines in there uh, in Alabama, which could be monitored. They do produce a ballot image, but uh, uh, nobody seems to want to, which we could actually recount properly, but nobody seems to want to take this seriously. I think there's a very, very good, or you could say bad chance, that uh, this election will be stolen, uh, which would be you know, a horrifying outcome, you know, given the nature of Roy Moore. What, and, um, what are the principal techniques that the Republican Party is using? I mean, we saw this in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Indiana in the last election, where hundreds of thousands of people in Minnesota, mostly in Milwaukee, a largely black town in Michigan, mostly Detroit, largely black town in Flint, um, in, in Indianapolis and in Ohio, um, mostly minority communities just were, you know, literally hundreds of thousands or correct me if I'm wrong, Harvey, you're the expert on this. No, you're, you're 100 percent right. It's strip and flip, Tom. Yeah. What happens is that they first they strip the voter rolls. They, they, they remove people, legitimately registered citizens from the voter rolls. The people show up to vote often decades in the same polling place in the same uh, home, and they're given provisional ballots because of, you know, the so-called irregularities, and the provisional ballots go straight in the trash. And, uh, you know, that is how Donald Trump became president in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, and North Carolina, the five states where Hillary Clinton won the exit polls and uh, but somehow lost in the Electoral College and did not say a word, by the way. Um, mm. And so uh, we, we think that this technique is going to be employed. Uh, we're pretty sure it's going to be employed in Alabama. The question is, uh, will they strip out enough uh, voters of color and will they flip them that for electronic votes? And you Why know, do you think it is that the, Clinton, that the Clinton campaign and the Democratic Party in general are perfectly willing to blame the Russians, but not to blame the Republicans for, for uh, you know, throwing hundreds of thousands of people off the voting rolls that would have made the difference in those states. Harvey, we've yeah, got about so 20 seconds is, left. The problem is they did the same thing to Bernie Sanders. And so the Democrats did to Bernie Sanders what Trump then did to Hillary Clinton. You're talking about in California? Uh, I, yes. And in, in Brooklyn? York, in Brooklyn. And uh, I especially, but other places as well. And I read every word of Hillary Clinton's excruciating book, and she never said a word about this. She attacks Joe Stein, but fails to point out that Joe Stein actually won a recount in Michigan, but they, they wouldn't do it because the Clinton campaign wouldn't sign on. And so the Democratic Party is really at fault here. We're trying to awake somebody in Alabama to this possibility. And Tom, I hope to God we do it because this is a, a major election that can be very easily stolen. Amen. Harvey Wasserman. Uh, hang on just a second. I'll give you all this information. Hang on just a second. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Solartopia, S-O-L-A-R-T-O-P-I-A dot org. You can tweet him at Solartopia. Thank you, Harvey. 
Hey, Tom, thank you, and congratulations on your move. Thanks. And welcome back. Oh, my goodness. Let's see here. Heidi in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Heidi, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Can you hear me? I hear you just fine, Heidi. Yeah, um, well, I was calling about um, Prince Harry's engagement to um, Meghan Markle this morning. And I thought, you know, what a wonderful, she's biracial, an American. And I thought, you know, what a wonderful stick in the eye to all those white Southern racists who denied our, you know, who who denied um, President Obama basically his presidency. And then I was also wondering what our current president is going to do to embarrass our entire country at this wedding. Mm. But um, also, the thing is, Tom, I, I called you last week. I called about the Indian Reservation. You got one thing wrong. This was a Native man, a member of the tribe who was, who was raping the girls. Oh, my. So, oh, yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, that, it's, the, 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 there's no group that is 100% noble. Um, our, our webmaster, uh, Nigel Peacock, who is British um, and is an old and dear friend, uh, Nigel this morning sent me a, uh, an email uh, kind of summarizing what's going on over there with, with regard to Prince Harry and his, and his uh, soon-to-be wife. He said, uh, Harry is the youngest son of uh, the Prince and Princess of Wales, Charles and Diana. His nickname is Harry, but his real name is Henry. He's fifth in line to the throne. Uh, Meghan will not become a princess as she has no royal descent connection. She's considered a commoner, but the queen can give them the gift of a title, and in all probability, they will become the Dutch and Dukes, uh, the Duch, du- du- excuse Duchess. me, Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And, and well, I wonder if Meghan's ever podcast. been denied the right to vote, or if her black mother has ever been denied the right to vote in this country. Yeah. You know, so maybe this is an opportunity also to, you know, to bring these things forward into, like, the more mainstream public. That's interesting. I mean, I love weddings. Weddings are wonderful. Yeah. But, but you know, also... You know, just the mainstream public, you know, what has this woman had to face? What has her black mother had to face as an American? Yeah, I think it's going to it's going to be denied? it's going to be fascinating, Heidi. And I uh, he, uh, and Nigel also pointed out she's Roman Catholic and the rules were changed in 2015. Prior to 2015, she would not have been allowed to marry into the royal family. And uh, Donald Trump is unlikely to be invited as wedding guest. So Nigel sent me all that information. So then I sent him back a note saying, Nigel, this is great. Thank you for this. Very thoughtful of you to put it together for me. Most interesting is that you didn't mention that Megan is a mixed race child. Her mom, as I recall, is black. How are the Brits handling that? And will this increase or diffuse racial tensions in the UK? And Nigel replied to me saying, I was going to miss that, missed it out. I was going to mention that, missed it out. I believe she is of African-American heritage. The mixed-race marriage will be the first time in modern royal history. It's not considered an issue at all here, and in many ways is being welcomed by people in the media today. Things have changed in the past 40 years, Nigel writes, here in the U.K., to the point that it has almost not been noticed that Meghan is of mixed race. It is barely mentioned in passing. There will be no racial tensions in the U.K. over her or the marriage. The U.K. is far more integrated than the United States, when it comes to color, although we're nowhere near perfect. Her mother, Doris Radlin, divorced husband Thomas when Megan was six years old. So that's, that's everything I know, and uh, it's fascinating stuff. Heidi, thank you for the call and for raising the issue. It is fascinating. Uh, and thank you for watching Free Speech TV. We'll be right back.
is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us are Michelle Sanborn and Ellen Reed. Michelle is a community rights activist, uh, the, the New Hampshire community organizer for the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, CELDEF. C-E-L-D-F dot org is the website and a volunteer coordinator with the New Hampshire Community Rights Network. Uh, which is uh, nhcommunityrights.org is their website. Seldef, of course, seldef.org. And uh, New Hampshire House Representative Ellen Reed is the Democratic House Representative for Rockingham County, District 17, serving the towns of Newfield and Newmarket, New Hampshire. And uh, as, as a former resident of New Hampshire, I lived there for five or six years. I'm pleased to have you both with us, Michelle. Ellen, or uh, Representative uh, Reed, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks, thanks to both of you. If I could start with, with uh, uh, Representative Ellen Reed, uh, tell us what, what legislatively are you and, and Michelle and the people that you guys are working together with uh, looking at doing here in New Hampshire? Right. So this is a constitutional amendment which would amend the New Hampshire state constitution to um, ensure that communities have the right to self-government. Um, like many states, New Hampshire is a Dillon state, so um, we basically have to enable the towns to do anything, even anything minor. This year alone we had several um, bills in the House to allow towns to do things like, say, ban plastic bags or whatever. The, the towns are not allowed to do that on their own. This would allow towns to um, have self-government only in the case of where it would help um, protect the health, safety, and welfare of the people of that town or their natural environment. So it's, it's confined. It wouldn't apply to all kinds of legislation, but it does emphasize the right of a, a community to protect its people and its natural resources. L, uh, Re Representative Reed, did you say New Hampshire is a Dillon state? I, it's a phrase I'd not heard before. Did I misunderstand? Right, and, and actually I'll have to confess that I'm, as far as all this legal stuff, I'm, I'm kind of new to learning it myself. Uh -huh. Dillon State, from what I understand, um, there are many states that are Dillon States, and it means that the state, the towns and cities of the state are basically the state's babies. The, they can't do anything of, on their own. The state has to enable them to do anything. Right. Uh, Maine, on the other hand, is something called a home rule state, where the towns can do whatever they want unless the state steps in. So um, that, so, that would be the main difference. But I want to be very clear that this is not a home rule uh, uh, bill. Right. This is only limited to um, legislation that would protect the health, safety, and welfare of the people of the community or its natural resources. Fascinating. So, Michelle Sanborn, you're a community organizer with CELDEF and uh, the New Hampshire Community Rights Network. What what are the community rights that are being trampled or threatened uh, or how is the community being harmed in a way that requires uh, Representative Reed and her compatriots to uh, create a, a change at law in the state of New Hampshire in order to remedy? Yeah, thank you. That, that's a great question. Uh, so in New Hampshire, we find that, that there's a number of different um, threats that are affecting the, the local communities across the state. Uh, and as Representative Reed uh, stated, being a Dillon's rural state, these communities have no local governing authority recognized by the state to, to enact the kinds of laws that would 
afford greater protections at the municipal level than what the state or federal government affords them. So um, really what we're dealing with is the concept of ceiling preemption versus uh, preemption as a floor. And so state preemption and federal preemption is not necessarily a bad thing when it affords protections at the level of a floor, and then the community has the authority to then enact greater protections above and beyond that to suit their needs. Right, so, so and so this, the, the, the um, communities in New Hampshire have been affected by various projects um, such as um, uh, large transmission lines uh, bringing industrial hydropower down from Quebec through the entire state to feed southern states, um, which has a significant impact on the environment as well as the health, safety, and welfare of those communities, the residents that, that live within those communities, uh, large groundwater withdrawal extraction, whether that be for bottling um, or just to be extracted and trucked elsewhere maybe within the state, maybe um, outside of the state. Uh, there's also been issues with uh, sludge spreading. Um, there's uh, <laughs> um, renewable energy, um, which, uh, again, in, on an industrial scale, uh, many communities have found that uh, when the control of those energy sources who dictates what kind of energy sources we use. Um, all of those things occur outside of the community, and even though it may be considered renewable by the general public, um, it's not a sustainable source of energy. So there have been a, a variety of different issues that have motivated communities to organize a grassroots effort to seek out um, representatives such as Ellen Reed that would uh, be willing to um, introduce a constitutional amendment to the Bill of Rights of the New Hampshire Constitution. Do you, do you know the, the meaning of Dylan's rule or where it came from? Forgive my ignorance. Yeah, so, yeah Dylan's rule. Um, so he, he was a lawyer and he eventually um, became a judge. And this goes back uh, really to the um, you know, maybe late 1700s, early 1800s where um, the concept occurred that, uh, that the state is the parent and the municipality is the child. And so in order to protect corporate interests and to provide a more uniform uh, concept of, of legislation that would be beneficial to corporate interests, that we would need, you know, uniform legislative um, environment. And so the idea evolved that with the state as a parent and the municipality as a child, um, that the municipalities wouldn't have the authority to, any governing authority to enact laws that would be um, uh, affecting, you know, the, that kind of universal uh, need for, for conformity and ease of, um, you know, projects, profit basically. Um, by corporate entities. So um, the idea is that, you know, if in a Dillon's rule state, a municipality does not have authority to enact any kind of a local law unless it has permission from the state. Hmm. In a home rule state, a local municipality has authority to enact a local law that may not have been approved by the state, so long as it's not specifically prohibited by the state. Right. So it's like, it's uh, like the, the difference between asking permission and asking forgiveness. Like, yeah, know. yeah, so, and, so, you know, uh, we, and the myth of home rule is that the state still has preemptive authority, regardless of whether you're Dillon's rule state or home rule state, the state still has the authority to come in, and whether it's special interest that, that might be lobbying um, at that level, 
or whether it's just the you know the um, perception of the legislature to to affect uh, right. local governing authority. But either way, what can happen is that they can come in and push for a law that then preempts anything that may have been passed at the local level and then overturn it. Right. As they so, as they have done with meatpacking plants and fracking mm-hmm. operations and other things around right. the world. We have less yep. than a minute left. I wanted to get back to uh, Representative Reed real quickly. Uh, Representative Ellen Reed, how how do you package this to your voters? How, you know, what's the what's the bumper sticker, the soundbite? What how how can you how do you communicate this quick and easy? Um, people have a right to self-rule. That's the basis of our entire country. It was the basis of the Declaration of Independence in the Constitution and many state constitutions. So it's there's no more basic relationship between than that between a people and its community, and therefore that decision has to lie within the community. It can't lie with other other powers such as an energy company from Texas or a water company from the Midwest. It has to lie within the people of that community. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Sounds totally solid. Michelle Sanborn and uh, State Representative Ellen Reed of New Hampshire. Um, the, uh, the website is CELDF, C-E-L-D-F, as in Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, dot org, C-E-L-D-F dot org. And uh, thank you, bo- and you can tweet at CELDF. Thank you both for being with us today. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. Everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Super Beets. Only Super Beets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Super Beets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Super Beets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Super Beets is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeets.com on the interwebs. And welcome back. Worst tax plan, worst jobs plan ever? That's, that's the, uh, the argument being made here by John Purr over at uh, Daily Kos. The Republicans want to do a $6 trillion tax cut. They have five and a half, they have four and a half trillion dollars worth of cuts that they have authorized themselves to do. A trillion dollars in cutting Medicaid, a half a trillion dollars in cutting Medicare, um, cutting, you know, ending your ability to deduct medical expenses from your income taxes ending your ability to deduct student loan interest from your taxes, ending a lot of your protections in the marketplace, um, you know, ending truckers' right. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, right? But they, you know, all to give a $6 trillion tax break to their buddies. Over 40% of the stimulus, this is the Obama stimulus, came in the form of tax relief, which benefited 95% of Americans. You recall the Obama stimulus tax cut was 
was uh, a, uh, a one-year-long, as I recall, maybe it was as much as two years, but it was a, at least a one-year-long pause in collections of the Social Security uh, tax, right, uh, the FICA tax. And that actually created a measurable stimulus, whereas the Reagan tax cuts produced no measurable stimulus. In fact, they produced a crash. And the George W. Bush tax cuts produced no measurable stimulus. They produced a crash. So, you know, the Republicans are like completely ahistoric in this. They're, they're completely ahistoric. And, uh, you know, we've got net neutrality. We've got all kinds of stuff going on here. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Brian in Dubuque, Iowa. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I want to thank you uh, quickly for your well wishes from the last time I called. I appreciate that. Um, You're welcome. I just wanted to give a heads up um, uh, that uh, Meredith Corporation, based out of Iowa, uh, bought Time Incorporated. With money from the Koch brothers. With $650 million from the Koch brothers. Yep. And I guarantee you they are not putting that money up because... Time Magazine is making money hand over fist, and they really have to have this investment. It is nothing like that at all. A Koch's, Koch Brothers spokesman said it was a passive investment. Right. Yeah, if you believe that, <laughs> I got a bridge to sell you. I don't buy bridges. Yeah, there you go. You shouldn't, and you shouldn't buy Time Magazine either. It's, uh, this is, this, you know, what has become obvious, Brian, is that these guys... Not specifically the Cokes, but you know, broadly speaking, and Rupert Murdoch really showed them the way back, uh, you know, during the Reagan era, I believe, when he came to the United States uh, after you know he left Australia, went to the UK, bought their press, screwed up their press, then came to the United States and you know built Fox News, bought the Wall Street Journal, uh, bought the New York Post, uh, you know, a bunch of other publications, um, radio stations, televisions, or television stations all over the country. And, uh, you know, Murdoch was like, you know, hey, you know, without Fox News, you wouldn't have had the last two Republican presidents. It's that simple. And the Koch brothers are looking at this going, huh, yeah, okay, so Time Magazine's for sale? We could buy that. This is, we are looking at the right-wing media infrastructure uh, being built out right in front of us, Brian. We've been watching it for 30 years, and it's amazing that Americans aren't more outraged by this. Brian, thank you for the call. Excellent point. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Hundreds of net neutrality protests nationwide is the headline in the press release from fightforthefuture.org. Evan Greer sent me this morning. Uh, the uh, fight for, he's the campaign director of Fight for the Future. Uh, there's uh, numerous websites, battleforthenet.com, fightforthefuture.org. They're, they're working on this stuff. As backlash continues to grow, Internet users outraged by Verizon lawyer turned FCC chairman Ajit Pai's plan to gut net neutrality are planning on more than 200 protests at Verizon retail stores and congressional offices across the country on Thursday, December 7th. That's a week from uh, this Thursday, so about 10 days, 10, 11 days down the road. The protests will highlight the company's role lobbying to kill rules that prevent telecom giants from charging extra fees, engage in censorship, or controlling what Internet users see and do through discriminatory throttling. 
Protesters will carry signs calling on the members of Congress to speak out against Verizon's attack on net neutrality and publicly oppose the FCC plan, which is expected to be released this week. In fact, I believe Thursday is the day that uh, there's supposed to be a vote uh, or the, the plan is supposed to be rolled out anyway. More than a half million phone calls have uh, been directed to Congress through the battleforthenet.com website. Ajit Pai's plan contains a total repeal of net neutrality protections, posing a grave threat to the future of Internet expression, access to information, and small businesses, particularly for communities of color and low-income communities. So this is a, uh, a BFD. It's a big deal. So pay attention. And uh, we will continue to be discussing this fascinating piece in the Financial Times today. Uh, Edward Luce writing, Donald Trump's unwitting surrender to China. And he starts out talking about how it was 60 years ago that Russia just fried our brains by putting Sputnik up. Uh, Donald Trump would have been 11 years old at the time. Uh, today's Sputnik moment, by contrast, appears to have bypassed America's 71-year-old president because China is openly planning to develop artificial intelligence. And he, he notes China's AI ambitions pose a greater long-term term threat to U.S. security than North Korea's nuclear reach. No obvious barrier to China's aim of leapfrogging the U.S. Quote, whoever becomes the leader in AI will become the ruler of the world, said Vladimir Putin recently. His observation followed China's announcement that it intends to withdraw even with the U.S. by 20, uh, to draw even, excuse me, uh, with the U.S. by 2020, overtake us in 2025, and dominate artificial intelligence by 2030, which is 13 years from now. America's leading technologists believe China's ambitions are plausible. Eric Schmidt, the executive chairman of Alphabet, which owns Google, he said, just stop for a second. The Chinese government said that. It's amazing. I mean, the, the, the Chinese are, are really moving forward and moving forward fast. It's, uh, it's amazing. Carol. And what's most amazing is that we keep handing them the technology because we've got corporations that, uh, for them, it's more important to have cheap labor in China and no environmental regulations than it is to protect the United States, the economy of the United States, or the security of the United States. That's the bottom line. And those corporations range from ones that we all know, like Microsoft and, and, uh, and Apple, to companies like Ivanka Trump's little clothing line. Carol in Hemet, California. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today? Yes, um, you mentioned earlier in the program that you wondered how much of, uh, uh, you know, cost-taking veterans had been taken in, into account uh, right. with budget. And uh, it brought to my mind uh, uh, a documentary that I saw recently called uh, Delayed and I Hope You Die, and it's about uh, the open... The military open burn pits. Do you know about this? Or oh, yeah. Discussed in the program? Yeah, this right. is a, uh, they got an exception to our environmental rules and, right. uh, and, and have been exploiting it aggressively. And uh, also, uh, in August, there was a lawsuit by a, a group of, I believe, 40 Marines. Mm -hmm. um, and that lawsuit in August against KBR, they, they lost that lawsuit. Uh, the no. Marines lost the lawsuit against KBR for doing an open burn and poisoning them? 
Right. The judge said that uh, KBR could not be held responsible uh, for what was basically a military decision to get rid of their garbage through open burn. So KBR did open burn, open burn since Whoa. they were in charge of all that stuff, you know. So there you go. And so now what they do, uh, that's going to be a heck of a thing for them to try to, uh, uh, you know, to the, the Pentagon, the military. Yeah. This is what happens when the Supreme Court says that individual billionaires or even industries or trade groups can own their own politicians. You end up with with industries and trade groups, in this case, polluting and poisoning industries, military defense contractors and whatnot, saying, oh, cool, we can we can own our own politicians. We're going to have one change the law or a bunch of them change the law. That's insane. Carol, thanks for the heads up on that. That's terrible. Jane in Washington, D.C. Hey, Jane, we got just a minute to the break. What's up? Yeah, hey, um, I'm a national security policy expert, and I've been listening to what you've been talking about, and there's a guy a while back talking about the fact that the Trump administration is pretty much wholesale going about turning the U.S. government upside down, and that is, in fact, what's happening. There's one showstopper here that scares me to death, that keeps me up at night. And that's the fact that the State Department is being dismantled. And the State Department is the one thing that keeps disagreements into becoming wars. Yeah, people need to think of it in terms of defense fights war, state prevents wars. State prevents wars and state ends wars. Right. And even the defense secretary has said, yo, here, over here, we need some diplomats. Hey, hey, guys, you can't do this. Right. And Rex Tillerson seems to be brain dead and clueless about the import. Or he's following Steve Bannon's orders. Yeah, I'm, I'm with and you. Jane, Jane, we're out of time. I'm sorry, but this is, this is a brilliant. I hope you can call back next week and we can get into a longer conversation about it. Thank you. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. We'll be back with more of your calls right after this break. Welcome back. Let's check in with uh, with your calls. Uh, Jeff in Portland. Hey, Jeff, thanks for calling. What's up? Hey, Tom. Glad glad you had a good holiday weekend, and thanks so much for taking my call. Thank you. Um, whether I'm calling you or Norman Goldman's show, I usually like to start off with a provocative rant, but uh, given that you and all the listeners already know this, this grand tax scam has only one intention, uh, which is to satisfy the oligarchs and entrench the oligarchy. Um, I just wanted to ask you two quick questions, if I may, Tom. Go for it. Okay. Number one, uh, in reference to Stephen Rosenfeld's um, weekend post on alternate.org, um, are big-name Democrats, do you, do you think, uh, are they being vocal enough, or do we need to turn up the heat on the Democratic leadership to get them to be bigger and louder, uh, warning the Republicans of the negative p- political consequences yeah. if this scam it's, passes. It's the wrong question, Jeff. The, your big-name Democrats and even your small-name Democrats are constantly trying to get the media's attention. Bernie went to Canada. He did a stunt. 
He went to Canada and did a tour of uh, health facilities in order to raise American consciousness about single-payer health care. It was completely ignored by the, by the American media. If you go to the, how, to the Congressional Progressive Caucus's website, which you can easily find with a, with a quick search, a DuckDuckGo search or whatever you want, you go to their, and, and get on their, on their mailing list, their media mailing list, and I'm assuming that individuals can get on that list as well. I get a press release from them at least three or four days a week every single week. And every one of those press releases, it's not just a, a press release that goes out. Every one of those press releases is announcing an event. Members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, and there's about 100 of them, it's the second, I believe the second largest caucus in, in Congress. It might be the largest caucus in Congress that is not ethnically based. Um, the, the members of the Progressive Caucus in the House and the Senate are constantly doing things. The media refuses to cover them. On the other hand, if a Tea Partier, if some right-wing crazy from, from Kansas or Oklahoma or, you know, some, some you know, whatever, if, if the Tea Party holds a meeting and 22 people show up, it becomes front-page news in all the, all the networks. But if the Progressive Caucus holds a meeting and 1,000 people show up, you know, uh, I was in Washington, D.C., Marianne Williamson came to town. Thousands of people came to hear her speak. Not a word. Well, maybe it was covered in, the, in some obscure page in the Washington Post. But, but basically, I mean, a lot of this stuff should be national news. None of it gets to be national news. So the question is not, should the Democrats be speaking out? They're speaking out loud and constantly. The question should be, why is the media refusing to cover them? Second question, Jeff. Okay, yeah, fair enough, and, and I hear you on that. Uh, number two, um, following up on Mark in San Francisco's call, Tom, uh, do, it does feel like this scam, if this scam passes, will be back on the cliff that the uh, Robert Barons of the Roaring Twenties sent us over. You know, it, it yep. feels like this is, this is the end game that the uh, modern Republicans have been working toward uh, for many years now. So um, as a great scholar of American history, um, like yourself, um, I, I know you're aware of how FDR only had to rescue us, not only had to rescue us from the Great Depression, but simultaneously had to defeat a homegrown Nazi movement led by the highly anti-Semitic uh, radio host Father Coughlin. Right. Uh, with, a little, with a little help from uh, from the 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 pilot. Uh, oh, what was his name? Yeah, uh, Lindbergh. yeah Charles Lindbergh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and 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 Coughlin had 30 million listeners. Um, how concerned are you? And that was a time uh, when America only had 100 million citizens. Forgive my interruption, Jeff. Yeah, that, that, well, that puts a great emphasis on it. So, how concerned are you uh, with history repeating itself in this regard? Given uh, we have an orange chump Nazi sympathizer in the White House. Yeah, I don't think it takes a Nazi sympathizer to produce a Great Depression. I'm very concerned about it. It's why back in 2014, I wrote a book called The Crash of 2016. I'm still fully expecting that to happen, although most of the book is not about economics. It's about politics. And it's about these 80-year cycles of boom, bust, crash, and war. And, and I'm predicting that we are going to have an economic disaster followed by a world war. And I, I still hold to that prediction. I think it's going to happen next year. And, um, you know, I Missed it by a couple of years in the title of the book. But, yeah, this is a huge concern of mine, Jeff, and, and, and one that I think that the Republicans have just been moving us in the direction of over and over and over again. Um, Jeff, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Charles in Opelaka, Florida. Hey, Charles, what's up? Yeah, how you doing, know, Tom? Great. What's up, Charles? Um, my thing is with these telecommunication companies, um, they want to gut net neutrality 
then um, what what are we using as far as tools to start taking away um, their um, you know their tax incentives? Uh, you know, like whatever whatever tools that they use to to to, to offshore money or or just to, to you know to take away from tax money. I mean taxpayers. You know, I think we should we should try to attack them in that way and let them know that you know yeah. we run this country. You know, I, you know Charles. Philosophically, I completely agree with you. I, you know, these guys are exploiting the system and getting rich doing it, and and we should do do away with their ability to get rich. But that tool is not going to be available to us, particularly as long as Republicans control the House and Senate. But the tools that we can use to take on net neutrality can be found at battleforthenet.com, fightforthefuture.org, and verizonprotests.com. So I encourage people to check those things out. Charles, thank you for the call. Mike in Richmond, Illinois. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Good. What's up? Have you heard of a book called The uh, Rise of the Robots and the uh, Jobless Future by uh, Martin Ford? I have not. Uh, yeah, it's about the impact on employment because of automation and uh, robots. And uh, with Tesla coming up with a self-driving car, uh, I yeah. talked to an engineer. He said Is that it- uh, they can have the trucks be like uh, driven like unmanned dr- drones. Yeah, no, I got it. Is he is he proposing a uh, um, universal basic income as a solution? Yeah, that's one of the solutions. That that's one of the impacts was stagnating wages. Yeah. And, uh, what's the What's the author's there? name, Mike? Real quick. Uh, Martin Ford. Martin Ford. Okay, I'll have to check it out. Thank you, Mike, for the heads up on that. Thank you all for being with us this week. It's been a fascinating, or the, this today, excuse me, Monday. It's been a fascinating day. It's been a fa- it was a fascinating weekend, frankly, at how little happened. Anyhow, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.